Well, good morning, friends, and welcome to our 11 o'clock service on this, the second Sunday of Easter. Welcome to those of you in the room, many more joining us online. Many of you are visiting with us. We're so honored that you've come. We hope you leave us some contact information so we can uh, talk to each other this week, get to know one another. You can learn about the church. We can learn about you. That would be great. My name is James Howell. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm up front this morning with my friend and colleague, Reverend Jessica Dason. Good morning. It is good to be together. We hope that during this Easter season, you may, may take the time to get plugged in, maybe try something new. We have lots of different small groups that are starting in the next week or two. All that information can be found in your bulletin or on our website. And please remember, our staff is here to help and serve you. So if there is a way that we can assist you in getting plugged in, please reach out. We are happy to do that with you. It is good to be together. It is good to be in worship. So let us prepare our hearts now.
family of God, let us now join our voices together as we profess our faith through the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. It is our great privilege to celebrate the sacrament of holy baptism this morning. Ashley and Dalton Cox bring their daughter, Imogene Dalton. Talia and Alan Fan bring their son, William Cooper. Joanna and Jake Thompson bring their daughters, Addison Elizabeth and Amanda King. <coughs> Excuse me. And Carrie and Christian Wyant bring their son, Theodore James, if you'd come forward. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the sacrament of baptism, we are initiated into Christ's holy church. We are incorporated into God's mighty acts of salvation and given new birth through water in the spirit. All this is God's gift offered to us without price. Friends, on behalf of the whole church, I ask you, do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to renounce evil and repent of your sin? If so, say we do. Do you confess Christ as your savior, put your trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord? If so, say we do. And will you nurture, nurture these children in Christ's holy church that by your teaching and example, they may be guided to accept God's grace for themselves, profess their faith openly, and lead a Christian life? If so, say we will. And will you, members of Myers Park United Methodist Church, include these families now before you in your care? Will you proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ? Will you surround these families with a community of love and forgiveness that they may grow in their service to others? And will you pray for them, that they may be true disciples who walk in the way that leads to life? If so, say we will. Yes. 
Friends, let us pray. Eternal Father, when nothing existed but chaos, you swept across the waters and brought forth light. In the days of Noah, you saved those on the ark through water. When you saw your people as captives in Egypt, you delivered them through the sea. Their children you brought into the promised land through the Jordan. In the fullness of time, you sent your son Jesus, who was baptized by John and anointed by your spirit. And he calls on his disciples to share in the baptism of his death and resurrection. Pour out your Holy Spirit now to bless this gift of water in those who receive it to wash away their sin and clothe them in righteousness throughout their lives, that dying and being raised with Christ, they may share in your final victory. All praise to eternal Father through your Son, Jesus Christ, who with you in the Holy Spirit lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Imogene Dalton Cox, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> William Cooper Fan, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amanda King Thompson, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Addison Elizabeth Thompson, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Theodore James Wyant, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Jesus said, I am the light of the world, therefore let your light so shine before others that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. Children of God, as you grow in age, may you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We rejoice to welcome you to the family of God.
Friends, we have the joy this morning, as you can see, <laughs> to welcome a whole new, we're gonna say gaggle, <laughs> folks into membership, and we are so delighted. Friends, we welcome you with the love of Christ, and we are honored and excited that you will be with us on our journey toward a meaningful faith and humble service. And so I ask you, will you strive with us to follow Jesus Christ, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve God's people and world? If so, please say, we will. As members of the body of Christ here at Myers Park United Methodist Church, will you faithfully engage in ministry by your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness? If so, say we will. Family of God, I commend these new friends to your love and care. Will you do all in your power to encourage and walk with them as together we strive to increase our faith confirm our hope, and grow in love and compassion? If so, say we will. And so we're going to take a quick moment <laughs> to do some introductions. If everyone will just remember, say your name and where you're from. Suzanne Davis, Winston-Salem. Davis Lauren Campbell, Winston-Salem. Caroline Rubel, Winston-Salem. Tim Kloniger from Charlotte. Barbara Kloniger, Charlotte. John Knotts, Winter Park, Florida. Melissa Knotts, Winter Park, Florida. Deborah Westbrook, Princeton, New Jersey. Robert Ashbaum, Princeton, New Jersey. Christopher Northrop from Charlotte, North Carolina. Avery Northrop, Charlotte, North Carolina. Do you want to say hi? That's okay. <laughs> this, this is Wells Northrop. <laughs> I'm Dick Blackwell from Charlotte. Amanda Cernick, Conway, Arkansas. Martha Hetrick and Michael Hetrick from Ocean Isle Beach. Tina Holton, Marietta, Georgia. Keith Holton, Camilla, Georgia. Marcus Dunn, Matthews. Christina Swain, Washington, D.C. Ann Pierce. Tom Pierce, Winston-Salem. Melanie Geis, Winston-Salem. Michael Geis, Denver, North Carolina. Getting creative back here. Stuart Caldwell, Charlotte, North Carolina. Emily Caldwell, Birmingham, Alabama. Kyle Hall, Phillipsburg, Missouri. Lauren Hall, Dallas, Texas. In the back. Walker Barber, Greensboro, North Carolina. Meredith Barber, Charlotte, North Carolina. Leslie Salch, Plano, Texas. Tyler Stell, Bunn, North Carolina. Allison White, Dallas, Texas. Will Jennings, Dallas, Texas. Maggie Jennings, Charlotte. Trisha Butler, Charlotte. Nancy Baker, Charlotte. And Randy Baker, Charlotte. Friends, there you have it. I hope that at the end of the service, as we recess out, all of our new member friends will be located right outside this door. I hope that you might take a moment to greet them and welcome them into the family of God. Friends, we give thanks for all that God has given you, and we welcome you in Christian love. May God continue to establish you and strengthen you, that you may be faithful disciples of Jesus Christ as the newest members of our church family. Welcome.
you did great. Friends, one of the beautiful things about being the family of God is that we know that this is a place where we can come and be, our sa- be ourselves. This is a place where we are safe to come before God and confess our sins and to become a greater family of God together. So now let us join in the prayer of confession that's in your bulletin. Gracious God, forgive us for the doubt that clouds our vision the pain that makes us hide from you, from ourselves, and from those we love most. Free us from our confusion. Heal us from our wounds. Resurrect us from our shame. Raise us into the hope and joy that we realize when we are close to you. Amen. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. The New Testament reading is 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with the third verse. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, we have been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and to an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, which though perishable is tested by fire, may redound to great praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Without having seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with unutterable and exalted joy. As the outcome of your faith, you obtain the salvation of your souls. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I was out and about on Monday and ran into uh, someone from the church who said to me, Easter's over. And I wish my friend Shane Page had been next to me because Shane loves to say Easter's longer than Lent, and it is. The season of Lent is when uh, we think about the dark hole that we find ourselves in. It's a season of sorrow, of repentance, of understanding our brokenness. Easter exceeds it. It's the season of light, the season of joy, the season of new hope. 
I love the Bible stories about Easter. Uh, they're a mess, right? There's running, there's confusion. The women say something, the men don't believe them. Thomas doubts. Uh, Jesus is with the guys on the road, they don't recognize him. There's a breakfast by the sea. A lot of confusion. Uh, but it started a movement. Uh, before they had a business plan, before they had creeds, before they had Bibles, this movement began and it was spreading like wildfire. And the early Christians met for worship in the catacombs. They went to the cemeteries. This is striking because in the Roman world, people avoided the places of death. That was contaminated. They kept it outside the city walls. The Christians no longer feared death. They met in places of death. It was as close as they could get to eternity. And a letter like 1 Peter is helping the early Christians to get a handle on what they believe before they have creeds, before they have books of theology. And it talks about great things like a great mercy. It's not just mercy, it's a great mercy. It's a living hope. It's not just hope, it's a living hope. It's a new birth, all of these uh, wonderful things. Um, the, speaking of uh, worshiping in cemeteries, I've told some of you this before. It's a story uh, that I hope is true. It comes from when Linda Maines Johnson was first running for the Senate in Texas, and uh, he and some of his cronies were uh, registering voters one night in a cemetery. Fraudulently. Are you listening to me? This is funny. They're registering voters. And one guy is coming along, and he comes to a tombstone. It's kind of grown over and faded, and so he skips it. And Lyndon says, no, 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 you go back. He has as much right to vote as anybody else in the cemetery. <clears throat> in the church, we believe that it's the dead who have the right to vote. They're the ones that we need to listen to. How do we do this? How do we make sense from those who are dead? Lisa and I this past week got to go to the uh, premiere of a really cool documentary uh, that features the city of Charlotte and two guys that grew up here. It's called A Binding Truth. It's a story of two, two people. One is a guy, Dr. D. Kirkpatrick. Uh, D is my neighbor, lives right down the street. He was a uh, practicing psychologist for years, worked in drug addiction and so on. And uh, it's also the story of somebody that he went to high school with named Jimmy Kirkpatrick. Jimmy was, uh, it's interesting, Jimmy grew up in what they used to call Greer Town, now it's Greer Heights. And he went to Second Ward High School, which was downtown in what was the Brooklyn neighborhood that got raised to the ground in the midst of urban renewal, right? And Jimmy was a big football star at Second Ward High School. They tore the school down, so he transferred to Myers Park High School. And he was amazing. He was like the greatest football player in the whole state of North Carolina. But after he got out of high school, Jimmy just thought he was kind of tired of stuff that was going on in the South around race in the 60s. So he decided, I want to get as far from Charlotte as possible. So he moved to Oregon. <laughs> That's about as far as you can get. And he lived in Oregon for years, and he did what some people do. He started researching his genealogy one day. Who were his ancestors? And Jimmy, being black, found something that was not all that surprising is that he had a great, 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 great grandfather named Sam who had been a slave. He was interested in this. His great, great, great grandfather, Sam, had been a slave here in Charlotte, North Carolina. He wondered who the master had been. Who had his great, great, great grandfather's owner been? If you're listening to the names while I was telling this story, it was Jimmy Kirkpatrick. 
My friend down the street who's white is named D. Kirkpatrick. It turns out that it's D's great-great-great-grandfather named Hugh, who was his slave owner. So, so this is so cool. So Jimmy reaches out across the country to D and says, you know, you've got this ancestor that you probably haven't paid attention to, and he was the owner of my ancestor. So the documentary is about their relationship, and it's a cool story because they became best friends. When Jimmy comes to Charlotte, uh, Dee invites us to his house. We have drinks and so on. They're best friends. They vacation together. Their children are attendants in one another's weddings. I mean, it's just absolutely uh, amazing, this friendship that they have. So the documentary tells the story, and I saw Dee the other day after I'd seen it, and I said, uh, I said, Dee, what was your favorite? <laughs> we, we, we so want children to have a good experience at church. Um, <laughs> That reminds me, by the way, a second church, my first church didn't really have any children, so we didn't do five baptisms in five years. Uh, my second church, uh, we had a few little children. So I mean, this one little boy, he was, his mom was sitting on the front row with him, and he was just screaming to high heaven. And so she decided she was hauling him out of church. So they're going down the side aisle. I'm watching this middle of my sermon. And they're most of the way out, and this church had curtains on the side. He reached and grabbed these curtains. <laughs> and pulled them down. Everybody's laughing. And then the child has a parting shot. As he goes out the door, he says, pray for me. <laughs> and, and we did. Um, so back to the documentary. Asked Dee, what was your favorite moment in the documentary? He named the moment. This was kind of cool. Uh, he and Jimmy got together, and they go to the cemetery where Hugh, the ancestor who was the slave owner, was buried. So they walk around, they come to the grave, and, you know, there it is. You know, Hugh Kirkpatrick and Jimmy bends down. He's the sweetest, gentlest man. He bends down, and he says, he speaks to Hugh. He says, guess who's here? <laughs> Which is hilarious. I thought the best moment, though, came when Jimmy and Dee are talking to a couple friends about what all they'd done through the documentary and what they'd unearthed and so on. And uh, Dee says, hey, what, what have we done here? And the friend at the table says, you've wakened the dead. You've wakened the dead. That's the church's business. We waken the dead. And I want to talk about that. I thought about it all week. Like, what, what is dead that needs to be awakened? What is dead in us that needs awakening? Uh, I'll start with me. I mean, I'm ashamed to admit this to you. Lisa came in the other day, and she said, um, she said, have you heard the news? And I said, what? She said, turn on the TV. I turned on the TV, and all the TV cameras were in Louisville, Kentucky, outside a bank where there had been a shooting. And what I'm ashamed to admit to you is I watched that for about a minute and a half, and then I turned it off, and I went on about my business. There used to be something in me that when that would happen, 
I would just be horrified and I would shed tears, but there have been so many shootings, there have been so many natural disasters that I, and probably some of you, we've gotten numb to it. That sensitivity has gone dead in us, and I don't want to be that person. So I ask God to raise the dead in me for me to be again a person who cares about such things. There's also this thing, I, I used to call these people, and you may know them, you may be one, I used to call them ex-liberals, that's not the right term, ex-idealist, ex-activists, people that I knew uh, when they were young, they wanted to change the world, they saw what was wrong in the world, and they thought, we can change the world if we just join together. At least I enjoy these novels uh, right now by a woman named Donna Leone, and it features this uh, police investigator named Guido Brunetti. And it's, of course, sort of funny. His children, they're teenagers, they're idealists like this. And they come in and they talk to their dad about what they want to change in the city of Venice and in the world. And he says, I, I remember when I was young like that. There's always some older person, isn't there? And there's an idealist. And the older person just says, oh, calm down calm down. You'll feel better one day. I do not wish to be the person to say to any idealist, oh, just calm down. You'll get over it. I would like to recover in myself to raise that dead part of me that used to say, we're going to change the world. We can do it. Actually, we can do it because what we believe in the church is that the possible is not limited by what you and I can get done. The possible is measured by the creation of the world. God created everything. God raised Jesus from the dead. If God can do such things, then the possible becomes something that is mind-boggling, and we need to listen to the idealists and to the activists instead of those who say, oh, you'll calm down one day, one day. I talk to people often who they, they, they look up in their life and they say, how did I get here? How did, how did I come to be this person? Uh, I, you know, in the, in the uh, musical Waitress, uh, the star of The Waitress, this is really her story. She looks up at her life and she thinks, how did I get here? And I love her lyric, which she sings, which goes like this, I'm not anything like I used to be. She's gone, but she used to be mine. What I want is a chance to start over and rewrite an ending or two for the girl that I knew. By the power of God, we can rewrite a new story. There can be a new ending. That's beyond our capability. Sometimes, though, it's different, isn't it? Because there's some optimism in that. I think about Frodo at the end of uh, The Lord of the Rings, when he says, how do you pick up the threads of an old life? How do you go on when in your heart you understand there's no going back? There's some things that time cannot mend, some hurts that go too deep. Like some hurts don't get better. Some of the pains that we suffer aren't going to get better. In the church, we know this. We can embrace this. We are loved in this place when we suffer such. Uh, I talked to a guy the other day. This, this is funny. He said, uh, I used to be a real spiritual person. I used to love church, but eh, not so much anymore. <laughs> 
Let's think about that. Like, I have a spirituality that went dead in me, but it's not dead in you. It might be like you've got weeds all over it, it needs to be dusted out. But there is a sleeping giant inside each person, and God is just waiting to awaken that sleeping giant, and you become, once again, the spiritual person that God made you to be, the lover of church that God made you to be. I've even, in thinking about this, I've even wondered about a, a spiritual awakening in America. I actually heard somebody the other day calling for a spiritual awakening in America. And it sounded like a really good idea, but I noticed the guy talking about it, and what I noticed was his posture and his tone of voice, he was kind of doing this. We need a spiritual awakening in America. It was almost frightening. If he'd been on my face, I would have backed up, right? If there's a spiritual awakening in America, I don't think it's going to be a clenched fist. I don't think it's going to be a loud voice. I think it's going to be humble. I think it's going to be full of mercy. It's going to be all about compassion, the stuff that we never see when we're out and about. It's not just going to be a Christian thing. If there's going to be a spiritual revival in America, we've got people all over the place, don't we? And if all of our religions could be their best self, their humblest, most compassionate selves, this country could be <laughs> really something. There could be a spiritual awakening. Uh, the passage that Mark read talked about our inheritance from God. Um, inheritances, you know, we inherit different things. Uh, I've inherited, my parents have died in the last three years, so I inherited a little bit from them. Before that, I had inherited things from my grandparents. Uh, my grandfather was a rural mail carrier, so I inherited his little mail pouch that he carried around. That's a real treasure. I inherited something else from my grandfather that uh, you have seen. Quite a few times. It's it's this. This is the Howell hair, and it's it's really fabulous hair. I mean, and all the Howell men have the Howell fabulous. My father died at 95 with this hair. My son has this hair. It's a different color, but he has this hair. Uh, it's an inheritance. I've also inherited from my family proclivities to certain diseases. And when I go to the doctor, they let me fill out that clipboard. They want to know what are the diseases that have been in my family that are going to be residing in my genes. That's pretty important to them. If my son were here, he would say, I inherited my father's vertical leap or lack thereof. <laughs> what do we inherit from God? Right? What do you inherit from God? It's not, it's not the stuff we think matters, like you know, being American or being white or being a guy or whatever. That's not the inheritance from God. The inherit, what do we inherit from God? We inherit from God a lot of things, but like the ability to pray, the desire to pray. You can see perfect pagans, and when things get really bad and urgent, they go, oh, God, they reach out. The prayer, it's an inheritance from God. I told you this during the pandemic. We need to remember it. Paul says this amazing thing about prayer in Romans chapter 8. Paul says, when you sigh, do you ever, did you do any sighing? This week, some of you are nodding. You know how that is. You just go, there are no words. You just go, <sighs> and what is it? Is it despair, weariness, frustration, 
Paul says, when you sigh, that is God's Holy Spirit praying within you. Like that changes everything, doesn't it? So instead of despair or weariness, that's God's Holy Spirit is praying in me. First Peter speaks of one of the inheritances from God is the ability to rejoice in the thick of difficulty. <laughs> That's something you don't have on your own. Sometimes you, you can go to the worst funeral, the saddest, most tragic funeral, and somebody will wind up laughing in the gathering afterwards. Like, what is that? We only have good cause to be sad, and yet we find some joy, some hidden laughter in it. God gives us the ability to rejoice in the thick of trials. God helps us to hope. We have hope because of God. I love that our capital campaign is called Hope is Here. I love that hope will be on the name of the building. That's really our signature. We are to be merchants of hope. And the way hope works, it's not always some big thing. It's not like always the heavens open and something amazing happens. Sometimes hope, it's just so simple. I recently read a novel by Joseph O'Connor called In My Father's House. And my favorite moment in the novel comes when a very wealthy woman, the Contessa Giovanna Landini, how shall I say it about the Contessa? She is someone who has everything and has lost more. She has everything and she's lost more. She goes to her priest and she tells about the time, the season in her life when she did not wish to live on. She did not think that she could make it, but she did make it and she made it because of just one person. Here's what she narrates, I love this. She says, hope, if it is ever encountered, is in small things of every day. Not a big announcement from on high. Hope is in the aroma of cooking, a phrase from a song, a hand clasp, a conversation. That is what happened to me in the garden that day. Entering the park, I didn't know him, but leaving it, I had shaken hands with who would be the greatest friend of my life, who in those terrible months would give me purpose, a reason to go on living. Friends, this is why we have church. It's not to come and be entertained. It's to come and to be able to hand clasp with someone who is indeed, you, you guys, you look good today. I mean, I'm, I did a poll. I asked a bunch of you today, how are you doing? And you are 100% doing great. And I congratulate you on this. But I think there's just a little, little mass cover-up there. A lot of you, I think, you've really had a crappy week. A lot of you, you couldn't sleep the other night, and it was really dark. A lot of you, you're feeling really broken. You're feeling really isolated. You're feeling pretty hopeless. Why do we have church? So someone will clasp your hand and become the best friend that you've ever had. A merchant of hope. Let me close with this uh, quickly, if I can. Uh, Peter talks about uh, this inheritance with God. It's more precious than gold. It says it's hidden for you in heaven, which reminds me of Jesus. <clears throat> Having said, do not lay up treasure on earth, which is what we spend our lives doing, isn't it? Do not lay up treasure on earth, but lay up treasure in heaven. I thought about this so much the other day on Friday in this place. We had the funeral service for our lay leader, your lay leader, Dick Carter, just one of our fabulous uh, church members. And I told in his service uh, the following, uh, Dick did this thing that was pretty amazing. Some of you heard it. 
Uh, Dick had committed to memory Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. If you don't know, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. That is 111 verses. It's more than 2,500 words. And Dick had committed to this to memory. Now, if you hear that, you think, man, he must have been brilliant. And I can tell you, Dick was brilliant. He was a Duke guy, so of course, yes, he was <laughs> indeed brilliant. But it's not about Dick being brilliant. It's not a feat of memory. What his memorizing the Sermon on the Mount, it tells you everything you need to know about Dick Carter's heart. It tells you everything you need to know about the heart of God and the union between those two. And I thought about this. So I, I said at his funeral, I still think this is right. I can't be sure. But I like the idea that when Dick died Saturday night before Palm Sunday, uh, he died. He uh, was welcomed into heaven. And Jesus welcomed him, and I'm pretty sure right at that moment, Jesus, after welcoming him, said, uh, Dick, could, could you do something for me? And Dick, of course, would have said, well, yes, anything. And Jesus would say, um, could you do that Sermon on the Mount thing again for me? You see, when Dick invested his energy to learn Jesus' words, he was laying up treasure in heaven. And when he got to heaven, like that counted. <laughs> that was something that he'd laid up. And then my question for you, it's not a threatening question. It's not a manipulative question. It's just a question. What treasure have you laid up in heaven? What are you doing? What have you done that when Jesus welcomes you to heaven, like he'd say, hey, how about that? That's why I like that we've torn this building down, we're building a new building, and the campaign is hope is here. And I want you to think about this, when the steel is going up, the steel is going up. It's so exciting. I keep trying to talk the uh, building superintendent and letting me climb up to the top of that crane and move some of the steel. They just won't let me do that. I say, I'm the senior pastor. Let me have at it. But the steel is going up, and people make a mistake when they see that steel going up. I hear you talking about it. People say, wow, the steel's going up. That's going to be some building. I don't want you to think about it that way. What I want you to do when you see the steel going up, I want you to think of that steel is our prayer. That steel is our reaching up toward the heavens. We, God's church, we, the body of Christ, are reaching up toward God. It's a prayer, and don't think that people driving around don't notice this. People believe that Christians are just a bunch of doofuses, and churches are just all dying, and they're mean, and they're judgmental, and they exclude people. This is what people in the world think about churches and Christianity. And friends, we're at a church, a crowd joins today, a crowd bringing their children. We are building a building, and I bet some of them will look at that and say, Maybe there's a God. <laughs> Maybe there's some hope. More importantly, as part of this project, we are building a neighborhood of 39 homes out near the airport. It's the Plato Price Project. Plato Price was the black school in West Charlotte in the 19-teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. And then they tore the school down. And you know that's the kind of school where somebody like Jimmy Kirkpatrick went. You know 
that that school during those days did not get nearly the resources of the white schools in this part of town that many of us were blessed by. But children showed up at that school, and when I go there, I try to listen to their voices coming up out of the soil. I hear children who came there laughing and learning and playing and studying and just being children. We're building homes there. We're part of a new neighborhood there. And then I have to close this. It's not, I didn't finesse this when I was preparing my sermon, but let me just try to name it. Our other affordable housing project is over at Caldwell Memorial Presbyterian Church. We're renovating part of their building to put apartments in there for people who at some point in time have been homeless. We had a church member here that some of you may recall named Richard Harrison. Richard was a dear friend of mine. I had him in my church in Davidson for 12 years before I came here. He died during the pandemic. Richard wanted to be the first resident in those apartments. And I think in some mystical way he will be there. Richard lived as a black guy in our very white church. And he did that with so much grace and with so much dignity, and he taught us a lot about ourselves and about what friendship looks like. Friends, at the end of the day, if hope is here, it's a building, it's a lot of things, but if hope is here, it's people like Dee and Jimmy who live on opposite sides of the country and their skin could not look more different, and they come together and they become best friends. They hear each other's stories. There's a hand clasp. Richard Harrison clasped so many of our hands and everything was changed. There's something that is dead in all of us that needs awakening, the spiritual self, the part of us that's grown numb to the troubles of the world, the old idealists that used to live in there. God comes to awaken the dead. That's us. <laughs> We're his church. We want to lay up treasure in heaven together. Thanks be to God.
Church family, would you join me in a time of prayer? O oh God, our help and our hope, holy is your name, unlike every other name that we know. Holy are your ways beyond the reach of our imperfections. Holy are your people, called by you to show the world a new way, a new hope. We thank you for this opportunity this morning to bring you our worship and our praise, for you alone are worthy of our worship. We ask for your spirit, even as it sighs and prays within us, to enlighten our hearts and our minds, to bring to life that which has died within us. Be present with us this morning as you show us who we are called to be. Lord, in your mercy. Gentle Shepherd, we're mindful of those among us who suffer, and we pray for those in need of your healing this day, for the sick, the injured, and hospitalized, and for all those whose difficulties have isolated them from their community. Give them a spirit of healing and hope. For those who mourn and weep, let them stand firm in your promises, buoyed by your strength and care. Give to us all the comfort and assurance that nothing, nothing can separate anyone from your love. Lord, in your mercy. Loving and gracious God, we're gathered here, drawn by the mystery of life and death. Even as we praise you for the empty tomb, we approach you with a mixture of faith and doubt. There is so much sorrow and pain in our lives. We have friends and family who struggle in so many ways. Sometimes it keeps us from seeing your hand at work in us. Sometimes we forget that you are with us. Your proclamation of peace through the risen Christ is both amazing and startling, yet it brings such relief and joy. We want to see Jesus to feel his comforting touch, and to know that his example is worthy of following. We ask that you pull together the fragments of our lives into the calm and peace of your spirit. Gather up the loose threads. Walk with us as we write a new ending for the people that we have been. Wake us from the dead. Let your presence shine on us as we place our trust in you. Show us the truth that makes us whole and lead us in your work to redeem and reconcile the world. We lift this prayer in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, as the ushers come forward and we prepare to bring to God 
his tithes and our offerings. I want to thank you for your continued generosity. That is what makes it possible for us to have this space and to build a new space so that we can continue to bring hope to our community.
Generous God, we ask that you receive these gifts. We ask that you bless them and multiply them and use them in your kingdom to bring your glorious hope to the whole world. Amen. We uh, rarely run past noon, so thank you for your patience. The new members are going to uh, process out with us. You want to uh, welcome them uh, on your way out uh, as you're able. So important. And now may the grace of our risen Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with each one of us both now and forevermore. <laughs>